Hey, what is it that makes the Christmas season, Christmas time, special for you? There's lots of different things that we might be able to think about. This is a season, a time of the year of, of unique joy, where there's a different feeling than every other month and every other day of the year. And it's worth thinking about what makes Christmas special for you. I think one of the qualities that make this time of year unique and different is that all of us, we have an opportunity just a little bit to see life from the perspective of a child. No matter how cynical and grizzled we've become, at this time of year, we're able to look on life and the world in just a different angle and see again some of the beauty and wonder and possibilities and joy that's really part of life. And I've treasured that opportunity with my own kids and our family. And I wanted to, I wanted to share one one special memory that I have from our family with you, I think about it at least once every, every Christmas season. Years ago, we were visiting a church for the first time. We'd never been there before, and so we were trying to fly under the radar. We came right before it started and, and sat in the back where all the seats are taken immediately. And, and in this church, it was a little bit of a smaller church, part of their tradition uh, they would gather all of the children who were part of the congregation to reenact and retell the Christmas story during their Christmas Eve service. So they called all the kids together, and, and one of my children wanted to be part of that. And, and so he, he took off to join the rest of the crew in the back of the church and just outside the worship center doors. And all the main parts had already been given out, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the angels, but but all the kids were part of this big procession, and they marched down the aisles, and, and then uh, they had a manger scene right at the front, and the kids were supposed to just spread out around that manger scene. And when, when the kids started marching down the aisle, I, I saw my child, and my kid was attached to the hip of one of the wise men. It, it was like they were just part of that group of wise men, and, and then they made their way all the way up to the front, and then I, I could figure out why. Because then my child jostled their way all the way up to be beside Mary, bounced her just a little bit, to look down inside that manger and just peered over the edge until I thought he might fall in. And then very abruptly just jerked up and found me sitting in the back and gave me the okay sign. Yeah. Well, we, we did not go unnoticed in that little church. And I, I could never find out what was inside that manger. But whatever it was, it was all right. It was okay. And today, I'm asking you to look again at the Christmas story through a child's perspective. Through the eyes of innocence and faith and wonder. We're going to attach ourselves to the side of those wise men and look at the Christmas story from their perspective from what they experienced. If you have your Bible or an app you can open up, find your way to Matthew chapter 2. Whether you're here in the room or, or watching at home or somewhere else, we're going to read the first 11 verses from Matthew chapter 2 that reveal the Christmas story from the unique perspective of the wise men who saw a star and then followed that light to find Jesus. You can also follow along on the screens as I read these verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 2. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem. In Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And this is the prophet Micah. About 800 years before Jesus was born, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Well, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, you you go on to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now this is a It's a simple story, and and you've probably heard it before, but this story has endured for 2,000 years because it gives us unique insights. This unique experience and story, it informs us about the unique identity and mission and purpose of Jesus as he entered our world. And and today, I want to just ask three questions, three childlike questions to help, us, to help us get to the bottom of this story from the wise men's perspective so that we can understand just a little bit more clearly who Jesus is and what he's all about and what this Christmas season means. I want us to ask, who were these wise men and how did they know to follow that star? And then what difference does this make? I mean, why should we really care about it after all of this time? So first, who were these wise men? In the scriptures, the title, the label that's given to them is is magi or magoi, the plural Greek word. But this isn't a a Greek word, really. It started out as a Persian term from a Persian language, and it was just dropped straight over from, from a Persian language into Greek. And sometimes today, we still call these wise men magi because the word just simply means wise men. So ethnically... These men, this group of people, they were not Jewish people. They were Gentiles. They came from eastern lands. We don't know exactly what land that was. We just know it was somewhere to the east of of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, the land of Israel. By the time Jesus was born, magi were scattered all throughout the eastern world, and, and they were a 
curious group of people. They often advised kings and rulers because they were wise. And they were wise from this story. We know that they studied the stars. They observed the planets and heavenly bodies and activities, but they had wide-ranging interests. They also studied philosophy. They were philosophers. They studied medicine, and so they were able in some way to help people who were sick. They also did some other things that are kind of weird and sketchy. You've heard of the people who tried to turn lead into gold. That was these guys. They were the magi. They were alchemists. They dabbled in things that, well, we might think of as magic. That's where we get our word magic. It comes from magi. So they were a very interesting group of characters. We don't really know how many of them there were. You know, traditionally, we think of them as being three because they gave three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but, but there's nothing in the text or the story that tells us there were only three. Now, by the third century after Jesus' birth, you know, people were telling stories about Jesus' birth and these wise men, and, and there was a church tradition that looks like it started about the third century that these were three kings who came from afar to worship Jesus. And then by the sixth century, these three kings received names, Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. Maybe you've even heard those names. But, but we really don't know that there were only three. There could have been more. We just know there were, they were plural. There was more than one. You know, there is something else you should know about these magi. To the Jewish community and for, for early Christians... People like Magi were viewed with a great deal of skepticism. Remember, they dabbled in things that might be thought of or called magic. And for the the Jewish community that Jesus was born into, for the early Christian community that Matthew was writing his gospel to, people who dabbled in magic, that was a little bit too close to witchcraft. And so Jewish people and early Christians, they stayed away from people like Magi. They were sketchy characters. We're not too sure about them. Now, remember, they followed that star. The star didn't quite get them all the way to Bethlehem, but they, they did follow the light from that star, and it took them as far as the land of Israel and Herod's palace. But have you ever wondered, how, how did they... How did they see something up in the sky, up in the heavens, and then draw the conclusion, okay, we're going to chart a course from this star. We're now going to travel to the land of Israel. I mean, it seems like a pretty big jump. So they saw something up in the heavens, and then they decided to take this long journey. So how did they know? How did they put that together to go to Israel when they saw this, whatever it was that they saw, this star up in the heavens. There's a, there's a really weird story in the Old Testament scriptures. In the book of Numbers, one of the first few books in the Hebrew Bible, Numbers chapter 22 to 24, it tells a, a weird and a wonderful story that, that might shed a little bit of light on how these wise men knew to follow that star. It's worth you checking out and reading sometime this week. In the book of Numbers, in those chapters, the nation of Israel was on a journey. They were without a home. They were moving in mass. And this is, 
This is long before Jesus was born, but they were moving in a a massive group from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan, the land that would become Israel, their homeland, the place God had promised them. And they were between being, being enslaved in Egypt and finding their home in Israel. And they were passing through different deserted wilderness areas, wild country, and they were passing by the borders of a country called Moab. And the king of Moab saw this huge number of people that were marching near his borders, and he was a little bit alarmed because they could decide that they liked his country and wanted to take over. And so he called for a strange man, a prophet-priest kind of figure from eastern lands. He was He was kind of a a magi, wise man kind of a person. And he called for this this prophet, priest person, his name was Balaam, to come to Moab and view this great nation and curse them so that he would be protected from them as they were passing near his borders. Now, this man, Balaam, after some back and forth, he, he consented to come and and visit the land of Moab and and see what would happen as he viewed these people. And so Balaam, after negotiating, he got on a donkey and he began traveling with the king's messengers to the land of Moab. The donkey donkey started behaving very strangely. I mean, first the donkey bolted off into a field, bolted off the pathway and just took off in the opposite direction. And then at another point when they were, they were going down a very narrow road with a stone wall, the donkey pushed up against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And then finally, a third time, the donkey just sat down in the road. The road was becoming very narrow and the donkey just laid down in the middle of the road with Balaam sitting on top of him. Every time the donkey did this, Balaam was furious and he beat the donkey mercilessly and probably used words we don't say in church. He was very angry. And then something even weirder than all of that happened. This third time, this last time when the donkey sat down and Balaam is just beating him mercilessly. The donkey turned his head and spoke to Balaam. And what's even crazier is that Balaam talked back to the donkey. They actually had a conversation. The donkey had been able to see something that this magi, wise man, prophet, priest kind of guy, Balaam, was unable to see. In the pathway ahead of them, at at all of those different points, there was an angel standing with a great sword drawn in front of them. And God opened Balaam's eyes, and he was able to see that angel. He was able to see what his donkey saw. And then God gave a warning to this prophet. Balaam, if you're going to go to Moab, go ahead. However, you better only speak the message that I put in your mouth. I will put a message in your mouth when you look at this nation of people. And that's the message I want you to speak out over them so that the king of Moab hears. Balaam, seeing this angel with the sword, he agrees very easily to those terms. And he gets back on the donkey. And as far as I know, they never talked again. That would have been weird. But he made his way all the way to Moab. And then he he warned the king. He said, look, king, I'm only going to be able to speak what God puts in my mouth. So lower your expectations. Three different times, the king of Moab brought Balaam out to view the nation of Israel spread out in front of him from overlooks. 
And three different times, instead of a curse that the king asked for, Balaam spoke words of blessing on those people. So now the king is furious and he's enraged and he's going to send Balaam away and back to his home in the eastern lands. And then God gives Balaam one more message. And I want you to see part of that fourth and final message that God put into Balaam's mouth. In Numbers 24, verse 17, you can, you can read this on the screens. Here's what Balaam said this last time. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. And a scepter will emerge from Israel. Now, some scholars argue that Balaam, this wise man from the east who counseled kings, was actually one of the founders of the Magi that ended up existing in pockets all around the east and advising kings. And a few centuries after Balaam, there was another man who, who rose up to be the chief of all the Magi. It looks like Balaam probably lived in or around the city of Babylon in southern Iraq, south of Baghdad. Years later, the king of Babylon, he, he overcame the entire Middle East and even the nation of Israel. And he brought back captives from the land of Israel. And one young man stood above the rest and he was elevated to oversee all of the king's wise men, all the king's counselors, a young Jewish man named Daniel. And it's just possible that Daniel helped preserve in the memory of this group of magi a prophecy from Balaam that one day a star would rise from Israel. So how did they know? Well, they, they may have had this little bit of prophecy that at least gave them a direction and a country to move toward. <laughs> but you might be wondering, you know, yeah, this is fascinating, but what does this matter? Why should I care about this? What difference is this making? These wise men, they have a powerful message for us, a message that's endured, but that sometimes maybe it gets a little bit lost or, or we forget about it. Now, remember who they were. These guys were sketchy characters. They were outsiders. They were not part of all the promises and covenants that God had made to his people. They messed around with magic. They would have been rejected by God's people and by the religious faithful. They would have been pushed to the edge and marginalized. They also didn't have all the answers. They didn't know about Micah's prophecy. They had to stop and ask for directions at Herod's palace. And you know how hard that is for one man, I mean, let alone a group of wise men. But they still stopped and asked for those directions because they, they, they didn't have all the answers. But they did see a star. And they had just enough faith to follow that star and continue taking their next step until they found Jesus. These wise men, they, they teach us an important truth. That Jesus, 
he still brings great joy to imperfect people who believe and who, who give Jesus what they have and keep taking their next step with him. Now, you, you might feel like a little bit of an outsider in some way, pushed to the edge. Maybe you have more questions than answers about faith and about life and about Jesus and the Bible. These wise men had lots of questions and they weren't able to answer all of them, but they were able to find their way to, to Jesus and bow and worship him. They believed. They had faith. And maybe it's your first step that you're ready to take right now to trust in Jesus for the first time, even though you still have lots of questions. But you're able to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you claim to be, that through your birth, your life, your death, your death for me, your resurrection, your victory over death, that you're offering me the gift of eternal life. Jesus is calling us to believe. And right where you're sitting, you can pray in your heart and talk to him and express your faith to him. You can also talk with someone that maybe you're worshiping with here or maybe that you're watching with online. And at the close of the service today, there's, there's people on both sides of our worship center space who would love to pray with you and talk with you about faith. Maybe it's time for you to take your first step to believe. Maybe you've been believing for many years. Jesus is also bringing joy to people who bring what they have and they give it to him. Whatever it is. The wise men, they brought what they had and they had resources. They had gold and, and precious spices and ointments and, and they brought that and offered it to the infant Jesus and to his family. And that certainly would have helped provide for, for their needs for quite a long time. Jesus calls us to bring what we have, whatever we have, our resources or our need our questions, our strengths, our successes, our, our disappointments and hurts, our hopes and our dreams. He just asks us to bring to him whatever we have. These wise men, they weren't trying to earn Jesus' favor or blessing by their gift. They brought what they had because that's what you do in the presence of royalty, in the presence of the Son of God. And you know, they kept taking their next step. If, if they traveled from Babylon or around Babylon, it would have taken them at least four months. And if they were from some other eastern lands, it could have taken them even longer. They went on a perilous long journey with many dark nights and, and I'm sure doubt and confusion about what they were doing and what that journey was all about. You might even be at one of those moments in life right now. You might not know what your next five or ten steps are. Jesus just wants you to take your next step to trust him and to keep following, to keep following after him. These wise men, they teach us an important lesson. 
that Jesus is bringing great joy to people like us, a bunch of sketchy characters, imperfect people who trust him, who believe, who offer him what we have, what he's given us, what he's brought into our life, and, and then keep taking our next step of faith with him. Jesus, you came into our world, you broke into our broken reality, and you brought with you life that's beyond anything we can understand. We want to keep coming back to you and finding our next step of following, of believing, of finding of finding that you are faithful and present. You came to give us freedom and forgiveness and new life. We're asking you to unleash the life that only comes from you among us, to call us to faith and belief wherever we are, wherever we are in life, so that we trust in you and we give you whatever it is that we have to offer and we keep taking our next step with you. <laughs> we keep coming back to adore and worship you. And we thank you. We thank you for entering into our world and for breaking into our own individual life. <laughs> 